Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. Wick has helped me buy and sell a home twice now, and both experiences were fantastic. In fact, we ended up in the house that has hosted the vast majority of these podcast conversations after Wick helped us buy it. And, and what I really love is that Wick Realty is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. You can see their signs in neighborhoods in every corner of the city. So if you're buying, if you're selling, building a house, if you're looking for investment property, even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Jamie Cowart, and Jamie has a perspective that I always love hearing from guests on this show. She grew up in Amarillo, spent her teenage years here, but then moved away to Tennessee during the early part of her adulthood. She returned to Amarillo a few years later, and that's a common story, people moving away but returning when they're grown-ups to raise their kids, to raise their family here. I'm always interested to know what they find when they come back, what attracts them back to Amarillo, and what has changed in the meantime. Jamie is also the voter registration chair with the League of Women Voters, and we have a big municipal election coming up on May 1st, 2021. The last day to register to vote in that election is coming up pretty soon. It's April 1st, which we discuss in this episode. So here's Jamie Cowart. Jamie Cowart, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thank you. I uh, So I'm, I'm eager to talk to you. I know that you've got uh, a lot of interesting stuff happening, but I want to start with you, the same place I start with all of my guests, and just ask, why are you here? How did you end up in the Amarillo Canyon area? Well, I lived in Amarillo when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school. Moved here, I think, when I was five. Okay. Went to Paramount Terrace, Austin, Tascosa, and... The fall after my senior year, did one semester at Emerald College, and my parents decided to move to Nashville okay. to work for my uncle's advertising agency. Moved there, lived there for 20 years through college, marriage, kids, and then a job brought us back to Amarillo about three years ago. Okay, so you you were in college at the time, but made the full move with your family and sort of planted yourself in Nashville. We did. Um, was going to Emerald College. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. My parents sat down with us, talked to us, really kind of made a family decision to move. Mm-hmm. My sister was a freshman in high school, so that's a big time to yeah. move a family. Um, we had family in Nashville that we had visited, but not really gotten to spend time with. So that was kind of encouraging and exciting to think, well, we kind of get to know this side of the family. And, uh, you know, Nashville is kind of an exciting city yeah, yeah. to move to. So we actually ended up in a small town outside of Nashville called Franklin. I finished out my semester at Emerald College. I lived with a friend that lived down the street from me and decided to go ahead and, and move up there with them to kind of explore somewhere else. And see ended what up it was like. going to college there. Did- I did. I finished community college in Nash in the town in Franklin, and then I went to the University of Tennessee okay. in Knoxville, which was about three hours away, and ended up uh, changing my major three or four times, and yeah. getting a degree, and working, and getting married, and having kids, and 
all that kind of did stuff. Did you work for the family business or did you do something else? I did not. Um, when we lived in Amarillo before we moved, my mom was a manager at a ladies only gym. Okay. And I worked for her. And then when we moved to Franklin, she got a job at a gym. My dad was doing the advertising. My mom was doing, she loved working at the gym. So I ended up working for her still. And then she ended up transitioning into the family business. But by that time, I was in Knoxville. Um, Right before I moved to Knoxville, I had gotten a job at Eddie Bauer, part-time, seasonal, Christmas help. And I loved working retail. So I did that all through college and ended up actually being a store manager. Um, Made that my career, not what I did in college. (laughs) Yeah. So tell tell me then about the process of coming back to Amarillo. So my husband um, was working for a, he's a structural engineer and he was working for a company that was working on a project at Y12, which is in Oak Ridge and is the partner to Pantex. Okay. Um, So a lot of people travel back and forth between Oak Ridge and Amarillo um, for both of those companies. And that project was coming to an end. And there were rumors that his company was going to have layoffs. So instead of waiting to see what happened, he was proactive. And since he was already being able to do projects with Y12, kind of already had an in with people at Pantex and found out about a job there. And since I was familiar with the area, knew what it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're like, okay, that's a place we could go back to. So you met him in Tennessee, We We did. We actually met online. Okay. But yes. And so that's that's interesting to me because you moved away, planted yourself in another city, started a family, got married, all that stuff, and then ended up coming back to the city that you grew up in, but without like all the family connections and stuff that you had here. Is that right? Right. We didn't have any family left here. Two of my best friends are still here, so that made it a little easier. And they were friends that, even though we were gone for 20 years, we kept in touch with. Okay. And we took vacations with their families and I would come back here and visit them. Right, so you did have a connection. We had a connection and you know they weren't blood family but I mean I've these two friends I've known since second grade. Okay. So they were basically family and you know taking trips with their family our kids already knew each other and so it was it was a little comforting to know that I already knew people who could you know help direct me in the right sports or organizations and stuff like that. What so. year did you return back here? Um, 2018. Okay. So January. just three years ago. Yep. Tell me about your experience growing up in Amarillo. Like, I'm, I'm always fascinated with the people who move away, spend a long time away, and then come back here, because obviously the city's changed in the 20 years you were gone. But what what is the Amarillo you remember as a kid at Austin or Tascosa? So we grew up across the street from Paramount Park. Okay. And I remember as a kid, that park used to flood Mm -hmm. a lot. And we would watch dumpsters float down the Mm -hmm. river and play in it, which is probably not very safe to do. But the two friends that I mentioned, we all grew up on the same street. I was in the middle of, of them. And so we spent a lot of time at each other's houses, um, together and at the park. I mean, a lot of time at the park. It's almost where we were all the time. And then I love the weather. We love playing in the snow when it would snow here. And uh, 
it was a fun place to be a kid, you know, and I have good organizations that I was part of when we were at Tesco. So I was in the band. Mm-hmm. So good friends that I made there and loved being a part of that. Did it feel different when you returned? It's funny. When I returned, I pictured myself at 18. Okay. And for a long time, I knew I still had friends that lived here. But everywhere I would go, I would think I should know somebody here. But I was looking for 18-year-olds. Right. I was looking at all the 18-year-olds and then having to tell myself, hey, I'm not 18 anymore. (laughs) I'm not going to know any of these 18-year-olds. And it was, there was a lot of new growth, you know, out past Sansi and all of that. So um, I got to see it a little bit as I would come back. We tried to make fairly regular trips back. It wasn't every year. It's a hard trip to make back from that far away. But um, so you could see it a little bit, but it really hadn't changed a whole lot in terms of knowing how to get places. Mm -hmm. You know, you still the same street grid, still know how to get just about everywhere. And Hey, do you remember that place? It's still there. So it wasn't too hard to come back, but it was, you know, not the same group of people. Because they've all kind of moved on and done their own stuff. I I wonder if a place like Nashville or Franklin, um, beyond you know the the music city aspects of of those places, if those feel similar to Amarillo, if Amarillo feels similar to them in a way. I mean, Southern states, red states, fairly Nashville, conservative culture. Nashville, not so much. Okay, um, it has very much adapted to the culture and the, I guess, changing with the times, you know, you get outside of Nashville, you might find a little more in common with the Amarillo as far as like the red States and all that kind of stuff. But in the city, um, it's a very big mix of people. Um, they're not just country music anymore, still most of it, but, uh, a lot of cool little places here and there you can go. And then, um, most of the rest of Tennessee, though, kind of had the same feel. We ended up in Knoxville, the big college town, mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of diversity there. But um, for the most part, Knoxville kind of felt like Amarillo. It was a smaller city, about 100,000 people maybe, but it also had a lot of outlying areas that made it feel a lot bigger. And it was really close to the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. So it was kind of a stop-off you know, for people traveling to the Smokies. Definitely different scenery there. Oh, yes. I remember when we first moved there, you know, in Amarillo, it's flat and perpendicular. If you miss your turn, make the block. Right. You can't make the block up there. And it was scary to drive at night because it was so hilly and so many trees. And that was a big, big thing to get used to was... Uh, where I'm lost now. Where do I go? <laughs> yeah, I, I was curious if, if there were things that you felt like you were giving up in moving back to Amarillo, or if there are things you think you, you felt like you were gaining by moving back here. Well, definitely reclaiming those uh, friendships, even though we stayed friends, it was nice to be able to see them on a regular basis and felt like no time had passed with them. Um, the landscape is definitely, especially in this pandemic, I watch all my friends in Knoxville going to the Smokies and hiking. Mm-hmm. And yes, we can do that in the canyon, but that's about the only place 
that we could go, and it's the same scenery. You know, you could go on a hike every day and experience waterfalls and mountain scenes and all this kind of stuff. And we do love going into Mexico, but also we can't just do that in a day. Right. We spend the day doing that and then come back. So we definitely, when we moved back here, hated to give up being so close to the Smokies. And we got really into Tennessee football. Okay. And Now there's football here in Amarillo and Texas. Not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, I went to a Texas Tech and Baylor game with my dad before we moved away. Okay. And it, it was fascinating. It was in Lubbock. I was like, man, that's really cool. You know, I can't wait to get to college and be able to do this kind of stuff. And then when we moved to Nashville. I didn't know much about the University of Tennessee. But a cousin offered us his Tennessee-Alabama football tickets. And if you're not in the SEC, that might not mean a lot to you. And it didn't mean a lot to me at the time. But that game is what made me decide to go to the University of Tennessee. We were losing and that crowd was louder than I've ever experienced. Hmm. And it was just, I mean, I fell in love with Tennessee football and still do. So that's definitely something that we miss is our, my husband went to University of Tennessee too. So, you know, we both got into it and wish that we could still easily get to games and stuff yeah, like and that. Yeah, Texas is a big football state, but there there is an intensity to SEC football. Yeah. From Alabama to Tennessee that, yeah, is is something different. Yeah, much different. All right, so tell me, once you arrived here in Amarillo and kind of got reacquainted, replanted here, what, what did you end up um, you know, doing with your time? So in Knoxville, I was a substitute teacher. Once my daughter got into school, I started doing that. Um, when my kids were born, I quit working retail, stayed home with them, and wanted something that was comparable to their schedule. I didn't want to just sit at home and you know, not really do much with my time. So I looked into subbing. And so as soon as we got back, I looked at subbing in the schools, um, started that. Um, it was January of 2018, which was right in the middle of the Beto, Ted Cruz yeah. election stuff. And never really paid much attention to politics at all. But that was interesting of how, just how, not not vicious, but just how intense it was, mm-hmm. and wanted to figure out how I could help. I don't even know how I found out about being a VDR, which is the volunteer deputy registrar, which gives me the ability to actually register voters. Um, but I stopped into the local election office in Canyon and just asked about working elections, and I needed to update my voter registration anyway, and, and I think they might have been the ones that told me about doing that. And so... I got into doing that. I started, I took the class to be a VDR and just started by trying to figure out where I could go to register voters. The League of Women Voters reaches out to VDRs and they reached out to me to help register voters at the high schools. Uh, Twice a year, it's a state law that high schoolers have to be offered the chance to register to vote. And so we offer our help to the high schools to talk to kids about registering to vote and trying to get them to do that. So I really got into doing that, and I really liked it. It was kind of a way to work behind the scenes politically Mm -hmm. and try to make a difference without being vocal. 
Right. You know, actually. Uh, having to wave a flag. Right. Hand out yard signs. Right. Or call people. Right. You know, because, you know, sometimes people aren't very nice and get hung up on. And I'm just, I'm such a people pleaser that I would want to try to not make them offended that I've called them. And so this was a really good way to still be beneficial and helpful, but not have to be in your face about it. Okay. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see uh, politics. To, to be very involved in politics requires a real strong constitution, yes. you know, because people yes. it is so polarized. And so regardless of which side you're on, you know, half the people you call are going to be angry with you. Right. If, if you're advocating for a, a certain politician. Um, so tell me about, I, I'm interested in the process of registering high school students, okay. you know, because you've got, you know, a, a group of seniors this year who are turning 18. Some of them may have turned 18 before the November elections. A lot of them will be turning 18 before the upcoming elections in May. So for uh, this, this will be their first chance to vote. How, how early can they register? Do they have to wait until they're 18 or can they register weeks before that? I mean, what's the process? They can register when they're 17 years and 10 months. Okay. So for the May election, if they will be 18 on May 1st, right? by May 1st, and they are 17 years and 10 months. So when we go into these schools, if we get to go into these schools sometime in March, if their birthday is sometime between then and May, but they will be 18 by then, we can go ahead and get them registered. Um, or even if they're 17 and 10 months, but they turn 18 after the May election, we could still get them registered. But if they're not 18 on election day, they just have to wait until the next one. But, um, we try to go in twice a year so that they can, we can catch the ones that could qualify for a November election. And then a lot of kids aren't going to turn 18 in those first two months of school. So we try to go back again and and catch the ones that are closer to the end of the year grad, uh, turning 18. Is that a difficult process, getting the attention of kids? I, mean, I, I know that a lot of high schoolers maybe are more aware of politics now than they used to be, but, um, you know, Texas is known as a, a state where people don't vote, and right. I would think the younger you get, the less likely you are to vote. Right. Um, what, what's that like? It's kind of hard to say right now because my first experience was right before COVID hit. Okay. Um, I started going into high schools with the League of Women Voters president and kind of watching her. And she gives a presentation that's really great about, you know, the percentage of youth voters. And the majority of voters are 65 and older. And so we really try to talk to the kids and say, is this who you want making your choices? Your grandparents. Your grandparents are deciding on your future. And your future is going to look a lot different than what they picture in their head. And so we try to really pick some topics, you know, that are that would stick out to them and, and make them realize there was one that I tried to really push I think there was a a bill proposed in Virginia that wanted to make it illegal to have a cell phone until you were like 21. And so, you know, these old folks might think, well, yeah, well, sure, yeah. they don't need a phone. I didn't have one. I didn't have one. Until I was one. 58. Right. But as an 18-year-old, you'd be like, oh, no. So 
try to find topics that are, you know, relatable to them. This past fall and this spring, we're not really able to go into the schools right now. So we're still offering our services as providing them with registration cards. If they'll let us set up a table, they'll send the kids down, but we don't really get a good chance to talk to them right now. But our flat, we've made a flyer that really tries to highlight those percentages. And then voter turnout was better for youth in 2020. They became more aware. And I definitely think, you know, social media and seeing what's going on, you know, helps them realize, well, maybe I should care about this. And so we try to find topics that they, that'll stick in their head and make them think, yeah, maybe I should go vote. I'm curious what, how you're, how you're making that sales pitch, I guess, um, locally regarding the May elections, because obviously November, a giant presidential election, very high profile, you know, there's a lot riding on that one, but then you get to a May election and it's, it's not as high profile, maybe in, in the kids' minds, not as high profile in the minds of people who have not yet registered to vote. Um, so what are the things that you're telling them about May and why that's important? Well, you know, we're trying to really let them know that your local officials really probably have more effect on your daily life than the national uh, races. You know, the president sounds big and it is and it's important, but they're not going to decide what happens in your little city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Emerald College board has a lot of uh, positions on that and it would be important to read up on the people that are running and find out what they want to do with Emerald College, especially if after high school you probably may end up at Emerald College. You know, that might influence your decision on if you want to go there or find somewhere else to go. But you know, it's important to know what they want to do for your city because that's actually your part of where you live. And it's probably even more important than voting in the big elections. They are very important still. So right. In the but big I mean, elections. You're, you're right. The but, local politics yes. is probably not as flashy. Right. But far more influential in like what actually happens right. to your life. I is, mean, they're going to decide your city taxes. They're going to decide, you know, the cost of your education, the Emerald College Board, and then the city, you know, your mayor and your city commissioners are going to decide, you know, what facilities get upgraded. And that's your, where you are in that moment. So you have to vote in those elections for the things that you care about because they're going to influence where you actually live. Is that a hard sales pitch? It's still thinking about high schoolers, about, you know, new 18-year-olds, many of whom will be staying here, but like a bunch of them will not. Like they'll turn 18 and then they'll graduate and they'll leave. Um, obviously that wouldn't happen until after the election, but is, is it hard, you know, giving them that intensely local focus when their eyes are on anything but staying in Amarillo. Yeah, that's probably, that, it's difficult to get a lot of people to vote in a local election anyway. Okay. And it's difficult to vote, get high schoolers to care about politics or what goes on. I didn't care when I was 18. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't, it didn't really affect me. But then when you try to tell them, if you do plan to stay in Amarillo, who your mayor is, 
will affect your life. You know, one may or may want to bring in a bunch of new touristy things that would affect your economy, provide jobs. Another mayor may want to go with the status quo, you know, just kind of keep it like it is. And which one do you prefer? You know, and if you do plan to move away, it's important to read up on your local officials in that wherever you end up, because they're also going to affect your schools, your local schools, your college, your community. Doesn't matter if it's Amarillo or Lubbock or, you know, Nashville. It's important to get involved in your local elections because they're going to influence your day-to-day life probably in a more profound way than the lo- the national elections will. Tell me a little bit more about the League of Women Voters since I know that you've uh, you've become associated with them. It's it's one of those groups that has pretty high name recognition. Um but like I probably couldn't tell you everything that they're involved with right. other than Signing people up to vote. I mean, is, is it more than that? It is much more than that. So the League of Women Voters is nonpartisan. Um, they will take specific issues like we just studied maternal mortality. And when we're able to have in-person meetings, we will get speakers to come talk about a topic. Um, we get different sides, different opinions on it, come and we listen and then make a consensus and then a general, here's how the League of Women Voters feels about okay. this. Um, so there's an advocacy right, element to it. Right. Um, we have tried to interview all the local politicians and ask them how they feel about certain issues. Um, and then at some point we would share with our politicians what we would like to see them work on policy-wise. Um, voting rights is going to be a big one. Um, the League of Women Voters is going to promote anything that expands your right to vote. Um, it, we for sure want it to be easier to vote. Everybody has a right to vote, mm-hmm. um, so it shouldn't be difficult. We shouldn't have challenges. We will do candidate forums every for every election. Like so, for the May election, um, as many candidates as we can get. Um, We'll ask people to submit questions. There'll be a moderator, kind of like a debate, um, but on a local level. This year, it's going to be um, aired on PBS. Okay. So that'll be nice. Um, for the November election, For the we tried to get as many statewide um, races as we could, but a lot of the local uh, races, we did a Zoom where they each got a handful of minutes and answered questions that were submitted. And that was really nice. We were able to get a lot more state officials that were on the state ballot um, by doing it that way because, you know, they can't always travel to the area. So that was kind of nice. And they print out a voter's guide for every election. Uh, It's like a little newspaper folded. Um, They'll interview all the candidates, ask them questions, get their stance, and then you can pick up a voter's guide and read about everybody that's on the ballot which is a really good way to do your research before you go in and vote. There's also vote411.org, which is a nationwide place. You can check your voter registration. You can um, find out what's on your ballot. It's not updated until a little closer to the election to make sure that, you know, they've made it past that filing deadline. And so you might not be able to go right now and find out 
everything that's on your ballot, but as it gets closer, they update it for each election. So they do a lot of, and we've got all kinds of committees that, you know, we work on ethics and voting rights, and it's not just register to vote. For people who are not yet registered to vote, uh, or if they, you know, have just moved here and need to update their information, all that stuff, like what's the deadline for being able to still vote in the May election? So April 1st is the deadline. Okay. If you have moved, you do have to update your voter registration. Um, so even if you're still registered in Texas, but like you've just arrived in Amarillo, that doesn't automatically mean you right. can vote for the Amarillo right. election. So that's one of the, I'll, also working the elections, that's one of the biggest challenges we have seen as far as voter registration is not changing your, not updating your address. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still vote. They're never going to turn you away to vote. But if you move from Potter to Randall County, um, you can vote a limited ballot, but that is only during early voting. If you go in on election day and you're registered in Potter County, but you now live in Randall County, you're going to have to vote a provisional ballot, which most likely won't count because you didn't update your voter registration. So even county to county, it's very important that you change your address. And April 1st for this upcoming election would be the deadline to get that done. So I, I know you talked about it a little bit in terms of the AC Board of Regents and why that's important. Uh, and, and I also know, you know, there's there's a nonpartisan aspect to what you do. But tell me a little bit about why this May election, where we're electing uh, city council representatives, we're electing for the mayor. Just tell me kind of how you feel as someone involved in voting, involved in politics, like why why this is an important time maybe for the city to, to be thinking about its leadership. Well, you hear a lot about how, you know, Amarillo is right here on I-40. And you hear a lot about these bigger cities that have a great draw to them. And I feel like we're getting there. You know, we've got the stadium, the new baseball stadium, which I think is great. I think with Amarillo being right smack in the middle of the panhandle on I-40, accessible to so many other states, it could be a really good thing tourist-wise for people to want to come here or want to make it a stop for a day or two on their way somewhere else. And I know that downtown has some new businesses and some new restaurants and I love 6th Street, you know, going down there and shopping. It's on old Route 66. That's Mm -hmm. a big, it's a big draw. And it's really interesting to go down there and kind of get the old feel of old 66, but also some of the newer stuff that's coming in. And who you vote for would have a big impact on what could come to the city and what could be added to make Emerald even better. A lot of that has to do with the outlook or the attitudes of the candidates. You know, I think you kind of alluded to it earlier. There are some people who are maybe resistant to a lot of change or a lot of growth. Some people who are very forward-thinking, progressive-minded, and want Amarillo to attract more tourist dollars or to um, attract larger companies to work here. And and sometimes there's a there's a real divide within that forward-thinking versus let's just stay the same, stay who we are. And regardless of which one you choose, like that's going to have an impact, not just on Amarillo 
in the year or two after they're elected, but 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Right. And I think that it's it's hard to escape change. Everything's going to change. I mean, there's just, and if we don't change and adapt to what what is changing, I don't think there's going to be much success in keeping at a place that people would want to come. And it, I think it's important to keep it as a place that people want to come because it is so centrally located to a lot of stuff, you know, make that old Route 66 journey from wherever Chicago to mm-hmm. L.A. and make Amarillo a big, big part of where you stop and explore. Okay, for people who are thinking about the May election and are not registered to vote, what's what's the process of doing that? If, if they don't encounter you, you know, at a voter's table or something, how do they how do they register? So the easiest way would probably be to contact their local election office, Potter County, Randall County. Uh, you can go in and pick up a card, fill it out, sign it, hand it in right there. Okay. Um, on the deadline to register to vote on April 1st, the League of Women Voters will have tables set up at all of those locations, uh, Santa Fe Building, the Randall County Annex, and the election office in Canyon, where we could help you register to vote. Um, you can go to vote411.org or Vote Texas and actually fill out a voter registration card uh, online. You cannot submit it online. Okay. You would have to print it, put it in an envelope, send it in. Texas does not have online voter registration. So you could also reach out to us at the League of Women Voters on our Facebook page. And if we can get you a card, we'll be happy to bring you a voter registration card. Okay. So just making sure that it has to be an original signature. It, so an online signature won't count. So okay. they would have to fill it out in person somewhere. I'd like to close this section by having you think back to the Amarillo of your childhood and then you know the, the Amarillo that you've discovered today. What's, what's one thing maybe that has surprised you after you've come back as an adult, you know, a little more aware of your community, a little more uh, aware of who we are, maybe outside, you know, going to the park and hanging out with your friends. What What's one thing that's kind of surprised you about Amarillo? It really hasn't changed a whole lot in my viewpoint, but also it's starting to still embrace what's great about Amarillo 30 years ago, the little restaurants and communities, but also some of the newer stuff that's coming in, the newer, I don't want to use the word hip or, you know, whatever, but, you know, thinking outside the box in terms of like what kind of restaurant might do well here. It's not, we don't all always want to eat steak and potatoes. Mm -hmm. As great as it is, you know, seeing the different cultural restaurants and shops and stuff be brought into Amarillo, I feel like is a really good thing. I don't know that I would have noticed it much as a kid and a teenager, but seeing that it's being embraced now really makes me happy and I think is a good thing. This episode is also sponsored by Terra Accounting and Consulting. I'm an entrepreneur At this point, I I own multiple businesses, and like most people in a position like this, that requires managing a lot of different things. And that can be a recipe for burnout. So anytime I can outsource stuff that's beyond my expertise is a good decision. Terra Accounting and Consulting understands this. They're a CPA firm built for doers like me. 
They help business owners build financial strategies that pave the way toward increased profitability, which I love, and personal financial growth. I also like that. Call Terra Accounting to schedule a consultation today, and if you mention Hey Amarillo, you'll receive $100 off any service. When it comes to accounting, payroll, bookkeeping, and tax prep, consider it done with Terra Accounting and Consulting. That's T-E-R-R-A. Okay, I'm back with Jamie Cowart. Jamie, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight different pioneer town buildings modeled after actual Panhandle businesses from the turn of the century. Actually, there's a lot more than eight. There's like 26 of them or something. Have you been to of course. The, the museums in yes. Pioneer Town and all that stuff? I remember Pioneer Town like from my childhood, um, and then they upgraded it like in a major way <laughs> a decade ago, and so I... It was always my favorite part of the museum. So, Okay, so you can learn more at panhandleplanes.org. This is the eight straight questions. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever detail you want to. The first thing, Jamie, is one that I've been asking in the last few months. It's what's one thing 2020 revealed to you about local people? Well, I think one thing that 2020 revealed is how willing they are to help strangers. Um, following a lot of different Facebook groups, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people were immune compromised, couldn't necessarily get out. And you basically just had to ask and within minutes, Mm -hmm. somebody was like, what do you need? And that was really great. On the flip side, I think it has also revealed how accustomed we have become to instant gratification. We want this to be over and we want it to be over fast and we're not used to anymore waiting around mm-hmm. and taking our time, letting things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So I think that's also made us really think, okay, we we can't control this in exactly the way we want to, so we just have to have a little bit more patience than we're used to having. Yeah, and that may be just a uh, a, a human emotion as opposed to something unique to Amarillo or to this area. Right. Yeah. That would be a pandemic pandemic emotion, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Uh, Wind and dust. Everything's dirty all the time. Uh, You didn't have wind like this in uh, in Tennessee? Um, No. In fact, when we were there and people would complain about it being windy, I would just have to laugh. (laughs) Oh, no. You have no idea. This is not windy. This is a light breeze. (laughs) What does this area not have enough of? Um, I would love it if we had more trees. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would love more snow days. Okay. Actual off-of-school snow days. When we first moved to Tennessee, they closed school with the forecast of snow before even one snowflake fell. Okay. And part of that was buses could not get into rural, hilly Windy areas roads, all that stuff. If yeah. it was snowy. And so it was just easier to close down for a day. We had like 10 snow days built into the school year. And we got used to that. Oh, it's supposed to snow tomorrow. Well, we won't have school for like three days. And then coming back, even from my childhood, knowing that we never got snow days like oh maybe they'll cancel school tomorrow Mm because it's supposed to snow and you know the kids still go to school there's 
three inches of snow on the ground. And then by the time they get home from school, it's gone. Right. Which is still a reason to go to school, but also like, oh, they would have had so much fun in playing in the snow. <laughs> of course, this past week has I was nothing to say. To we're <laughs> recording this right after a string of snow days <laughs> that, that, that probably we could have done without. <laughs> yes, that's that's more in general. Yeah, okay. That, that's that's a good one. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Say you're talking to somebody you knew in, in Tennessee, and they say, where did you end up? What's what's Amarillo like? Right. Uh, it's very flat, um, very dusty, windy, but also we have some of the best sunsets you will ever see. And you can see that from almost anywhere, which is kind of nice. You know, you don't have to go very far to experience a great sunset. And the people are really nice. I mean... Like I said about the pandemic, they are just willing. What do you need? If mm-hmm. I can do it, I'll help you. And I think that's really, really great. And my parents always talked about when we moved away, well, it's a great place to raise your kids, a great place to raise your kids. And now having kids and being here, I mean, it really is. The you know They've enjoyed their schools and their activities and feel like it's a very safe place to be. And so... Yes, my parents were right. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? I like Joe Taco. Okay. Love Mexican food. Could eat it every week. Is there any, like, like was that something that you had to give up living in Tennessee, or is there, is there a degree of Tex-Mex there that Well, we actually, okay? in Knoxville, got a Chewy's. Okay. And we were very excited knowing that that was an Austin-based Texas Tex-Mex restaurant. So I am... Looking forward to the Chewies coming to Amarillo. Okay. Tennessee had a more actual Mexican food restaurants as opposed to Tex-Mex. And they were very good. They were they were really good, but definitely did miss the Tex-Mex. Yeah. We've got a wealth of that here. Yes. So. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Um, I like Palace. Um, noticed when we moved, my brother and sister, my brother-in-law and sister own a coffee shop in Nashville. Okay. And when we were getting ready to move back, my brother-in-law let me know that the roasters, the owners of Palace, learned how to roast their beans at the same place he did. Okay. And so that was kind of a connection there. And so I checked it out once we got back, and they they were good. One thing I've found is that Palace has a reputation far outside the Amarillo Canyon area. Yeah. They, they only have shops here. But almost any coffee person I've encountered outside Texas is like, oh, yeah, Palace. We know them. Yeah. We've kind of found the same with my brother-in-law's shop in Nashville. Like if I'll have on one of their shirts or mm-hmm. something, I'll be like, ooh, I know about that place. What yeah. shop is that? Frothy Monkey. Frothy Monkey? That's uh-huh. a great name. It's yeah. a memorable name. It's, it's a good place. Okay. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Speaking sure. of tourism and all mm-hmm. that stuff. July 26, 2018. Okay. I had to go look it up. Soon after arriving here, I it guess. was. It, it was not on our own choice. We had cousins coming from Dallas going to ski, or not ski, but going to spend time in New Mexico, their first time to Red River. And so on their stop through, they were like, hey, we can meet you at Joe Taco or something like that. And they were like, well, we kind of want to eat at the Big Texan. So we obliged and we went out there. Did it, did it meet their expectations? I think it was. Yes, it was everything they wanted it to be. Did it meet your expectations? It really was good. I mean, we didn't eat there regularly when we lived here, but um, it was it was good. Yeah, I would take other guests back. Yeah, okay. 
And what's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? I really love the Wolfland neighborhood. Um, going to Austin, getting to see some of those houses as we would drive through. And then just at Christmas time, I could have gone through there every day. Mm-hmm. I feel like every one of those houses probably has a story to tell. They're just, they they draw me in. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody would would argue with that. I I like to close Jamie by asking my guest to endorse something. So, what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience related to this area? Um, well, an organization I'd like to endorse is StoryBridge. Yeah, I'm not affiliated with them, but when we lived in Tennessee, my kids were able to be part of Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, where she sends them a book every month from birth to age five. And when we got back here, even though my kids were older than that, we had a lot of books that we no longer needed. Okay. And so I looked to see if there was an organization like Dolly's Library and found StoryBridge. And so we've we've donated a few books there, and my daughter, instead of birthday presents one year, asked for books that kids didn't want anymore, and we donated those. And I think it's really important to get books into kids' hands and knowing that they support Title I, low-income mm-hmm. kids that don't always have access to books. I think that's really good. And Chandra Perkins, the uh, founder of StoryBridge, is a former podcast guest. I, I know she'd be thrilled to be lumped in with Dolly Parton, <laughs> 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 the, 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 the Dolly Parton's um, organization of Amarillo. So, um, yeah, I love StoryBridge. That's a great one. Well, Jamie Cowart, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was really fun. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Jamie for the interview. Thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring eight straight every episode. And to Terra Accounting and Consulting and Wick Realty for sponsoring the show. You can find out more about voting and voter registration at pottercountyvotes.com and randallcounty.com, depending on where you live. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Priselda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Wes Reeves, Jess Heredia, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 188. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.